It is wonderful to hear that song again. That is Guster. Who else, right? Guster's Lazy Love serving as the intro music on this podcast. My continual thanks to the guys in Guster for giving me permission to use that song on this podcast for its bumper music all those years ago. Hell, they might have even forgot that was the case, but word is bond, boys. Word is bond. Welcome back in to R&R. I'm your host, Matt Norlander. And in October of 2001, the late Steve Jobs got on stage at an Apple-run music conference in Cupertino, California, just west of San Jose, and introduced a device that would change American culture. It would also change the world. Jobs unveiled the idea of the iPod, then he sold the whole damn thing by taking one out of his jean pocket. Here's what that sounded like. And we are introducing a product today that takes us exactly there, and that product is called iPod. iMac iBook, iPod. What is iPod? iPod is an MP3 music player, has CD quality music, and it plays all of the popular open formats of digital music, MP3, MP3 variable bitrate, uh, WAV, and AIFF. But the biggest thing about iPod is it holds a thousand songs. Now this is a quantum leap because it's your, for most people, it's their entire music library. This is huge. How many times have you gone on the road with a CD player and said, oh God, the CD, I didn't bring the CD I wanted to listen to. To have your whole music library with you at all times is a quantum leap in listening to music. But the coolest thing about iPod is that whole, your entire music library fits in your pocket. You can take your whole music library with you right in your pocket. Never before possible. So that's iPod. Credit to YouTube user Joshua G, who hosts that video for the audio poll there. Later in that presentation, Jobs demonstrates to an enraptured crowd the iPod 1.0's audio capabilities. Hooked up to the auditorium's PA, Jobs plays some songs. And listener, do you want to know what those songs were? In order! Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin. Could You Be Loved by Bob Marley and the Wailers. Box Cello Suite Number 1, as played by none other than Yo-Yo Ma. Carry That Weight by the Beatles fading into Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin. Four minutes later, after demonstrating how Apple's nascent iTunes software syncs with iPod, Steve Jobs again plays Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin. Let me level with you. Building a Mystery kind of a jam. And if you're honest with yourself, you know this also to be true. Can't fault Steve Jobs for doing that. There's more music that's in this. Porcelain by Moby, because Moby pitches the iPods. Crazy by Seal, because Seal pitches the iPod. All Star by Smash Mouth, because Smash Mouth also pitches the iPod. 2001. What a crazy time. iPod was introduced that year. Became viably mainstream by 2003. You know, the image of someone bouncing along, listening to a Walkman with headphones on, that was replaced in the 90s by the image of someone strutting along, holding a Discman with headphones on, and then that was replaced in the mid-2000s by someone pocketing an iPod with those white wired earbuds. Now, that era is over. Few people wear wired earbuds these days, and in May of 2022, Apple announced it is no longer producing iPods. That being the final installation, the never-romanticized iPod Touch not being in production as we speak. It's done. It's over. It's estimated that around 450 million iPods were sold across two decades. It is the most popular 
music playing mobile piece of technology in the history of the world, specifically for music. Right? It, it was a game changer in so many in so many different ways. You know, I used to buy songs for ninety nine cents on iTunes, download them to my computer, and sync them onto this thing. And it, it, it wasn't even that long ago. We get to that on the show here in a little bit. Playlists with the iPod, they were an upgrade on mixtapes and CDs. They weren't constrained by time limits. You could build out the perfect 47-song road trip mix or constantly tweak your workout shuffles, pick whatever mood you were in on a given Wednesday, go with that playlist, go for a run, turn off the world, right? There was no bringing your phone with you for a good period of this time. There was no someone calling you or texting you in the middle of going for a run, doing a workout, or just listening to music, right? There, it was, we, we were much less distracted, and I think that's part of why there's a little bit of nostalgia for the end of this era, so to speak. But man, oh man, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours I had of loading music onto a computer, burning CDs, fetching the artwork, downloading that to match it up and display on the iPod so that at least in a digital sense, you had as much of that aesthetic as you get from physical media, right? Physical music media. Do you know how much time I spent downloading LP artwork and dragging and dropping it into iTunes so it would match the record when it played on the iPod? If the artwork wasn't already there, I did it. <laughs> I did it. More than I care to admit. But you know what? If you're listening to this episode, chances are you identify with that. Hey, maybe you even did it yourself. With the ascendance of Apple Music streaming platform on the back end of the 2010s, iTunes faced a mostly ignored death a few years ago, if you missed it, by the way. This makes sense when you consider, you know, just how frustrating iTunes' software became as the 2010s wore on. The iTunes update became, like, few things got roasted online in the mid-2010s, like the iTunes update. Not a good thing. But the laments over the iPod, they have been different. And let me be clear, by the way, I'm well aware that although the iPod is no longer selling to market, there are still plenty of people that still have them, that still use them, that still listen to these wonderful little devices with regularity. You know what? I'm one of them too. As I talk about on this episode, I have hours and hours of music on an old computer that can't be accessed on any streaming service. I don't have it on a current cloud, on a current computer, at least not yet. Um, I've got it all on that computer, a backup hard drive, and that's it. Although I should probably, I should probably fix that pretty soon. Uh, but with the announcement that the iPod was ceasing production, it only felt appropriate to spend, you know, spend an hour waxing nostalgic about that 2004 to 2013-ish era, which feels like the, the sweet spot of the iPod's ubiquity. So thanks for coming back and listening to Records and Riffs. I've got a number of episodes coming down the pike throughout this summer. So to anyone who nudged me to revive this occasional at best personal hobby, thank you. Happy to do it. More good eps coming down the road. My guest on this episode is one of the most educated and enthusiastic minds I know when it comes to music, certainly. His name is Joe Ovius. He is a sports talk radio host in Raleigh, North Carolina, but he could just as easily... In my opinion, Joe could just as easily make a living on radio working in or talking about music. He's also a hardcore Apple guy, which makes him a perfect guest for a, for a chat like this. So if you found yourself searching for that scratched-up iPod of yours in recent days or even bemoaning the one you threw out long ago, I think you will enjoy our chat. So let's click wheel. Let's click wheel over to the next part, right? Secure those earbuds. It's time to praise and reflect on the iPod era. You woke up screaming.
Joe Ovius, it is wonderful to have you on the podcast. You are the guy for this very topic. Thanks for joining. How you doing, man? Good, man. You've uh, you certainly sent me down a rabbit hole when you told me the topic of this podcast. <laughs> Did I send you down that rabbit hole? Now, why are you, as we get into this very topic, why are you the guy? You know, I'm bringing on one of the most talented sports radio hosts in the country. I'm not, I'm not just saying that because you're here. I genuinely believe that. But, <laughs> Thank you. Um, but plenty of people who will listen to this will not know who you are. You get, you, no. you get how the game goes. Uh, so why are you, Joe Ovius, based in the Triangle area of North Carolina, the guy to, uh, to talk about uh, the death of the iPod and uh, how we've kind of transitioned over the past half decade into, uh, into our permanent streaming era? Because I am fascinated by how we – as, as music enthusiasts interact with the medium in various forms. Uh, if you don't follow me on social media, it's not so much that I'm like every other middle-aged dad bro with a beard uh, who enjoys craft beer and is suddenly collecting vinyl again. <laughs> I'm actually making mixtapes again, like actual cassette mixtapes. And I feel like as we've gotten further away from physical media. And, and again, I'm in a weird generational gap. I'm not quite generation X. I'm not quite a millennial. I was born in 1979. So I, I like to think of our generation as the one that is able to straddle a unique line in which we remember and are native to an analog time, but still young enough that technology was not something to be feared. It was cool. Like, oh, what's the next thing? Cool. I'll get into that. But I do feel like our connection with music over time has become more and more disposable, which is funny because when you look at retrospectives about the iPod specifically, people will look at the iPod as the real turning point of disposable music. I would disagree, actually, now that we look back on it. The iPod might actually be, along with its paired software program, iTunes, not mm -hmm. this monstrosity that we know today as Apple Music, that iTunes was probably the last form of real music nerd curation. Yes, you're hitting you know? it right on the head. Absolutely. Because, uh, how about on this level? So I, 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 the iPod gets introduced in 2001. It doesn't really catch on, I don't think, in a significant way until probably like 03. And then the, the iPod that everyone is mourning, the sixth generation one that could go 80 gigs, 160 gigs, that's the one everyone's mourning. That didn't come out until 07. And then really, like, you're talking like, 06 to like 2012 is prime iPod years. And when it came to curation, I'm not exaggerating here, obvious. And part of this is, you know, having a huge affinity for the likes of Umphreys McGee, Dave Matthews Band, <laughs> live shows yes. that you would download off of torrents mm -hmm. that you would then, and a lot of these are lossless files. So you got to convert them if you, because, you know, if you want to, that's a whole other conversation about about Winamp that we're not even going to go down that road, but you would curate. You don't want to whip. You don't want to whip the llama's ass. Can't, can't right now, can't right now. So, but yes, you would curate all sorts of kinds of things, and it would be a romanticized uh, process, really, where you cared about. Even though cover art digitally, I get it, is not the same as holding a vinyl record, even a CD, right? Even that got mm -hmm. kind of taken away, but you could make. A playlist. You can make six different 90-minute playlists to go running to, and it was more flexible. It was a better medium than just 
making physical mixtapes or mix CDs, which still have their place and had their place, but it really expanded it out. And I would argue that one of my things that I loved about my, my iPod and iTunes is there were all these records I loved. And if there was a 14-track album, I'd listen to it in full two, three times, and I'd be like, you know what? I only want 11 of these songs. And so I would actually shorten the records to what I wanted on them. Mm -hmm. You know, it became Mm -hmm. a very personalized thing. And there was a... There was something to be said, and that's why we're going to talk about it here, about the era in which, and it's kind of, you know, would you agree, really like 05-ish to like 2012, 2013, that was like prime iPod, iTunes years where you were curating uh, and people were listening, and you didn't have to like worry about your, you know, sharing, the, the whole interface with, with streaming, your data mm-hmm. being shared, you cared about your play count on your iTunes, you know, that kind of stuff. You feel me? So. I I got an i I did not get the iPod that came out in 2001, the original spinning click wheel version of the iPod. I actually got the second generation iPod as a gift from my parents, the 10 gig touch wheel. Um, but it still had the gigantic FireWire port on it, right? Mm-hmm. And I I I was also at the time still cool with some of the people at the college radio station that I worked at at NC State, WKNC 88.1. So I took my old iBook, <laughs> went to the radio station, and just ripped so many CDs. Yes. Uh, but I did what you did. I, I basically, having spun a lot of those tracks from the years 1998 through 2001 when I graduated from NC State, I knew which songs I wanted off of certain albums. So I would select the ones, and I would kind of do what you did. Uh, but what I would do, I, I, you know, I would, I would just do band playlists all together, not just here's my favorite tracks off the album. Like here's my here's the band that I like from this particular time. Here are all my favorite songs from this particular band, and move from there. So that that was when I first got into music curation through Apple's interface, uh, which was wasn't the smoothest transition. It was also slow too, based on the super drive that was on the iBook at the time. Right. But to your point about peak, the software got better. The the capacity of the iPod got better. There were different versions of the iPod that you could purchase as well. There was the Nano. There was the little clip that you could run with. Uh, it really was curated to how you would interact with the music. I think you're like me in that I I wanted all of it. I wanted all of it in my pocket as they advertised. So I went through great pains to fit as much as I could in there. And also understanding, too, with lossless files, I, at that time I wasn't concerned because the audio quality coming out of the the earbuds wasn't necessarily, you know, needing me to rip things at 320 right. MP3s or whatever. I didn't really care about that stuff. So I, I kind of, what I associate as peak iPod is not Napster, Kazaa, LimeWire, or any other BitTorrent files that not share, you know, not peer-to-peer, but even BitTorrent. Mm-hmm. I would actually associate peak iPods with mp3 blogs of the time you know you had this is when pitchfork was really coming into its own as a website and it would tip you off to this hot track that the kids were into and then you would go to a place like aquarium drunkard yes or brooklyn vegan or any other number of websites that would just kind of give you a single of the day or here's this new york band that they checked out and here's this diy mp3 and you would fill up your iPod with that stuff because it was easy to access, easy to transfer. So I would associate that that kind of like 05, but probably 05 with the arrival of like Arcade Fire. 
Yeah. You know, with that sort of thing coming out of that New York resurgence. I would also argue that the iPod era was the last gasp of rock music being a cultural force in this country. Expand uh, because, on that. Because of those New York bands that had come out, I highly suggest, if you haven't read it, Lizzie Goodman did a, an oral history of that scene from 2001 to 2011, 2012, called Meet Me in the Bathroom. And, I mean, it's a long book. You know, sometimes they spend a little too much time reminiscing about parties that you just had to be there. Uh, but in terms of, like, as a cultural force, it really does remind you of, yeah, like you actually watched a, a video on MTV when the Strokes last night came on, you know, like that kind of stuff. And that's coincided with being able to access it easily on the internet, put it on your iPod and just really, just really just delve into those bands like you might have done back in the day with a cassette or a record if you were, if you were older. They, uh, yeah, I, to that very point in prepping for this pod, uh, we're going to get to like, Vintage iPod bands. I have a li- I have a list, but one of them I'll spoil right now. And I watched, I watched the video the night uh, last night uh, for the Vines is tick tick boom. And you want to talk about like? Oh, you want? Yeah, it's funny. You want to you want to get into those bands because I actually do have like a breakdown because you asked me. Uh, a couple of things that I know you wanted to talk about, including like the last time I actually used an iPod. When, when is it? When's the last time you used your iPod? Last time I used the iPod had to have been 2018, 2019. Uh, Kelly and I uh, took the kids on a five national park trek. So we went to um, Zion, Bryce Canyon, the North Rim of the Grand Canyon in between, doubled back through Las Vegas into Death Valley, and then ended it in Yosemite. Um when you're doing those long road trips in the middle of nowhere, you're not getting cell service. Yeah. You're not, you're not necessarily able to stream music like you want to. So I actually loaded up my 160 gig iPod classic, which I still have today, an iPod classic that I funded, I purchased because I had sold about 90% of my CD collection to various places like disco rounds, school kids records, and, uh, you know, getting just pennies on the dollars for these CDs. Yes. But I sold enough to get about the five to $600 it cost at the time to get that iPod, if I remember correctly, or like $400 or whatever it was. So I, I had not fired that bad boy up in ages. So I had fun just plugging it in, getting it charged up, bringing an aux cord and plugging it into the rental car and driving around. Kelly and I, you know, it's it's all these like, one-off British bands that I thought were like the next big thing. Like, oh man, the Kaiser Chiefs. That's right. Oh baby. man, I remember. I, I remember this band called Oh the Editors. They were yes. like an Interpol Nick knockoff. Keen. Yeah. And then, you know oh. some uh, some other like you know DFA adjacent bands that came out of the LCD sound system things like The Rapture and exclamation mm. point exclamation point exclamation <laughs> point. You know. Like what was that? Radio Four. Was it uh, Electric Six? And they have uh, Fire in the Disco, Fire in the Taco Bell. Sounds like, like all, it. Yep. Like all these old like, clap your clap your hands and say yeah. And tapes and tapes. Like all these very specific fans of that era uh, that I I listened to once more and I thought to myself yeah you know what these did not stand the test of time. I, I had a fun trip down memory lane. It was like uh, it was like having. It was having like cotton candy, and then I moved on, and that was the end of it. 
Mm, man. All right, I'll save some more of these uh, artists for a little bit, uh, a little bit later um, in the in the show here. But do you think? Do you think that the iPod era? Like, why do you, th- why, what are your other, what are the reasons do you think people have been, like, this has been a little bit of a, what I found interesting is, in the past week, as we're recording this, whenever you're coming in to listen to this episode, if you're listening to it right when it's gone to the feed, or if you're listening to it literally months or hell, years later, um, there has been a, a prompt for people to write about this, there's been coverage at Spin, Rolling Stone, The Guardian, mm-hmm. across, you know, pl- there's been no shortage of it, right? And yet, you know, iTunes as we know it really uh, got shut down in 2019. Apple Music came into existence in 2015. So, like, the iPod era has not been around for many, many years. It's just the actual official announcement that, hey, we're not going to produce these things anymore. And they were iPod yep. touches, right? What do you Which think? weren't really iPods. They were Which dumbed were down phones that I would give to my kids who weren't ready for uh, an iPhone. They just right. weren't. So, What other reasons do you think are prompting... I guess, you know, mostly people north of the age of 35 and younger than I would say 55 for the most part. Like, you know, you kind of hit that uh, mark where you're you're post-X, pre-millennial. Mm-hmm. Um, why is there a nostalgia for something that you could argue was not physical media? It wasn't cassettes, wasn't CDs, wasn't vinyl. It is the bridge to our streaming era. So why are people finding themselves, you know, wanting to have this or at least embracing this nostalgia when, when the iPod itself has not been, you haven't used it since 2018. I myself mm-hmm. actually tend to use it from time to time because literally it has live shows on that, on yes. that thing that I can't get on my streaming service that I don't mm-hmm. have that I long ago downloaded off of torrents. It's th- literally the only place that that stuff exists is on my iPod and on a computer that I can't throw out because it's got, you know, 140 gigs worth of music there. So why do you think people have, uh, have dipped back into kind of, you know, bury this thing one more time memorably. So, well, much like, uh, follow me here, M- much like my my generation that's in between, the iPod literally is the same thing in that it's, a, it's an in-between. It was futuristic because you could put anything you wanted on it, but ultimately it was what you wanted on it. If you wanted to load it up with all the live shows, like you said, you could do that. It was, for lack of a better term, digital, but also dumb. Everything today is connected. Your television is connected. Mm-hmm. Try finding a dumb TV. Just, I want a TV with a great freaking picture. I don't want a TV that I have to talk to. All right. Mm-hmm. So think about that today with Apple Music. I just want to open up an app and see the stuff that I like on it. You can't do that in Apple Music. I got my phone on me right now. If I open up Apple Music, and I live in my little walled garden of Apple Music, the first thing that comes up is browse, right? So, oh, here's Harry Styles, and here's our top playlist. Top playlists change every single time I log in. And you end up going, oh, okay, here's this new music. I'm like, I have to go click on my library Mm -hmm. to go back and see what I've got. So you're just inundated with so much stuff that what ends up happening is that you get paralyzed by choice. That's another advantage of the iPod you were still limited by what you could afford in gigs. I could afford a 160 gig iPod. I could fill right. up that iPod with low resolution files to fill up as much as I possibly can, or I could put a bunch of 320 MP3s or high level uh, MP4s. Eventually you're going to run out of space. There was only so many playlists that you could make because you were going to run out of room eventually. Well, on Apple, nothing ends. Nothing ends on Apple Music. The playlists never end. 
that's a problem. You're presented with more choice. Honestly, that's why I've actually gone back to enjoying making cassettes uh, because there was something a little bit more personal about it. You could, you know, you could put art on it. You were limited to, do I have a 60 tape? Do I have a 90 tape? Am I going splurge and I'm going a 120 tape? That that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? You would write it down. You'd come up with clever little names. You could still do that with a burned CD. I mean, I, I'll get nostalgic for burning CDs. You could still put your marker on it, make a little art. You were limited by the space of the CD. You only had 80 minutes at the latest. Yeah. In the latest iteration of CDs, I think the last ones you could do were like 80 minutes. The early ones you were capped at around 74 minutes. Um, but again, you could do a little art on it, have some fun. With iTunes and playlists, you were still limited by the capacity of the device, but there was also little idiosyncrasies to those playlists as well. Let's say you shared a computer with a family member. You had your iPod, but then you'd have the, like, I remember reading a think piece not that long ago that was reminiscing about the iTunes and how the, the author and the sister would troll each other because they would change the playlist every so often without them noticing it. So when they would sync the iPod, yeah. the playlist would change and they're on a run or in their car thinking the playlist is going to play a certain thing. And all of a sudden they get rickrolled, you know? Mm-hmm. So even, even in that particular era while digital, it still had a, a, a human element that was relatable that unfortunately today does not exist in our era of streaming. I also think, so this, you graduated a one, uh, I was out of college in 05. So this is really for people in college from like, I want to say like 04 to probably like 08, 09. Mm-hmm. Uh, the iTunes, the, it was, if you, if you lived in a dorm, right. And you had, it was, it's just as like you said though, but if you lived in the, like, I specifically remember my senior year, uh, buddies uh, lived in a dorm. You'd log on to iTunes, and you would you would be able to listen to, you know, Jasmine's iTunes playlist that lived yes. down the hall. Someone yes. the floor below you. This is you know, dorm three seventeen. Yep. This is and you would there was a community aspect to it that was observed without you know there, you know it wasn't. Uh, it didn't go so far as you could, you know, have message boards like qualities or that, but there was, you would literally discover music by looking to see who was online, who was, who was making their iTunes playlist shareable. And through all this, you would connect through your iPod. Like it it all was kind of one thing. And it was, uh, it was a way of evolving kind of, you know, where you went to school, how you would learn about more. Frankly, I'd say, I don't know. 10 to 12 to 15 bands that I know and enjoy now, I, I mm. discovered through those kinds of means there. And it was it was kind of the next step because before that, if you were discovering new music, you were getting through magazines, radio stations, particularly, you know, college radio, which we both worked at uh, yeah. back, in our, back in our long ago heydays. But if you were, or, 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 you know, a buddy somehow finds a band, it just, this, this way of discovering music really exploded it um, in a way where it was also more re- somewhat more reliable. I mean, I agree with you. This is post Napster ish. Now, Kazaa, LimeWire, Morpheus, these things were out there, and they did certainly contribute yeah. to it. Like the pirate, we can also acknowledge this too. Like a lot of this is like the peak of piracy. You know, it really was not just for music, Joe, but you know, BitTorrent. The Pirate Bay, movies, television shows. I mean, the 2000s were just an absolute free-for-all for people that didn't want to pay for this kind of stuff in, in ways that – which really is kind of reflected in how we're living in our streaming world now. But it was uh, – it's kind of wild to me. I was thinking about this in the past couple of days. 
this wasn't that long ago, mm-hmm. but technology, Joe, moves so fast that it feels like a long t- It's It's not that long ago, man. Like, it's really it's, not that. But the techn- technology and the way that the, these things just change and evolve and change and change, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking three, four, five cycles ago. It's not that long ago, but at the same time, it does – it. So I do think that what you're getting at ties into the issue with music today. In fact, 2022, you know, as of this recording, the releases this year have been a torrent, man. It's been a flood of new releases every Friday. A lot of that has to do with the pandemic and artists having held on to these things or maybe getting around to it a little bit later because they want to tour, got to make the money. I get the business aspect of it. But it does highlight something that's happened in music over the last couple of years in that because it's so easily available to us, we move to this. We just move on to the next thing. It's like mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar can drop this album that really needs to be unpacked over several weeks. I can guarantee you by Friday, somebody else will release something and we'll all just mosey on over to that and you'll you'll be shocked at how quickly you'll forget something was released. Arcade Fire, you know, they put out a new album this year and there's some think pieces about, you know, what it means, a return to form, blah, 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 blah. Do they still matter? And then we go, oh, wait, on to the next thing. Uh, Florence and the Machine just released a new album. And because it's so readily available for you to listen to, you might listen to it once and then go on. Look, I read Steve Hyden's book, because I do think this ties into the iPod era as well. Steve Hyde wrote a book about Radiohead, um, and it's all about the release of Kid A. Mm-hmm. And the release of Kid A, his argument, his thesis, is that it was like the, while different, the last real lead up to a major release, okay? And that people were consuming live versions of the songs. Is this going to be on it? What's going on behind the studios? There were updates and all this other particular stuff, right? And that when the album came out, finally, people took time to consume it because they had invested in it. Now, Tom York can release a collaborative album, new album called The Smile, and I didn't even freaking know about it. Mm -hmm. Is that because of my age? Is that because there's a flood of music that comes out all the time? that the niches have broken off into various places that if I'm not fully immersed in Radiohead all the time, I wouldn't have seen it. So all of this just kind of becomes back to my central point of everything being so readily available that you almost get paralyzed by choice. This leads to some other issues. You're so paralyzed by new stuff, you end up just getting frustrated and Mm -hmm. going with what you know. So the music discovery isn't where it once was. You just go back to the comfort food. We do this with TV shows all the time as well. You go on, you see all the infinite shows that are on Netflix and Hulu and HBO, and then people end up just watching Friends. Because, well, I like Friends. I don't have to think about it, that kind of stuff. So I do think that that's another issue that has presented itself with music uh, discovery uh, or falling in love with an album because you had no other choice. That's That's a separate topic altogether that we can get into too. Um, that, you know, the iPod still allowed you to, oh, I just downloaded a fresh batch of MP3s. Let me listen to them. Um, whereas now it doesn't really matter. If you buy a cassette and you buy a cassette for a, for two songs and you hate the album, you just spent, you know, however much money you did on it. You were stuck with it for a while. You only had so much money to send to the BMG club. They would send you 18 CDs for 25 cents. All right, cool. 
well, I know I had these five CDs that I really wanted. I got to fill out the rest of this to get my five bucks. And then you get a CD that you take a chance on. The next thing you know, you fall in love with it. I mean, hell, that was Faith No More's Angel Dust for me. Like Faith No More's Angel Dust is a classic Columbia House BMG special. You had your 15 CDs that you know you wanted. Well, aren't they like the aren't they the ones who did Epic? Okay, cool. Let me yeah. just get this one. And then you're presented with an album that is in no way, shape, or form like Epic. And you might not even understand it at your how old was I when that album came out? In your teenage years, but you heard it enough times, you're like, whoa, this is different. This kind of opened up what I was thinking about. You can't do that anymore with music discovery. It feels like when the iPod arrived uh, in 01, and then really again when it really came of age in like 03, 04, um, it did still feel weird, like weirdly ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost, because I, I remember getting the first one, and it was like, first of all, how about this? You might know because you might have been reading on it. How much do you think the first, I, first one, 2001, first generation? Let's play. How much did it cost, and how many gigs was it? The very first version. Um, All right, so so the click wheel, the actual spinning click wheel iPod, I want to say was at five gigs, and it cost four hundred bucks. Yes, so the very first one, two thousand one, five gigs, four hundred dollars in oh one. Okay, and 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 that's twenty one years ago. That. Mm-hmm. Was outrageous then. Like it was. It, uh, th- yes. You could hold a thousand songs on this, but the idea that you would do this and, uh, you know, iTunes in its absolute infancy there, but at the same time, as it slowly built up, uh, it did feel like something that had come two, three, five years ahead of where we thought it would be because we were still, again, kind of. Like Napster was still a thing. Kazaa had come into to play there, and the idea. But of, there's an important thing here. The iPod was not the only MP3 player. It was not. That is important. It did not this invent the form. But as it yes. so often will say, and you uh, who are, I say this belovingly, but like you seem like a, an Apple fanboy. You know yes. Yes. that they per, they perfect it. They might not invent it, but they certainly perfect it. Yeah. Look, this is this is an important distinction of why the iPod mattered versus the others. Creative had the Zen. I think that was what it was called, the MP3 player at the time, with Creative Zen. Um, you know, Microsoft eventually came out with the Zune, which people lampooned, but people actually liked the interface. That's neither here nor there. MP3 players were not a were not new when Apple decided to get into the game. Just like burning CDs on your laptop was not a new thing when Apple made it super easy with uh, with the iBook and their SuperDrive. I mean, my first interaction was with a friend of mine, their older brother had a laptop set up and he downloaded MP3s with Winamp and he had what like Roxio Toast, I think was the name of the software uh, that he could then make an MP3 CD or an actual disc that would play in your CD player. Again, the point is you had to be super immersed in the technology to make this stuff work. What Apple has always done is they made it incredibly easy for you to do it and they knew they could do this at a premium, which is why you end up with spend. You, you spent $400 on a five gig iPod. What you're really spending that money on is for the software. It was always the software. iTunes made it incredibly easy to sync. Here are your playlists. Mm-hmm. Plug it in. Initially. Sync button. Initially. Initially. We'll get to Initially. that. Yeah, yeah. Initially. I think, uh, I think it was... Um, I forgot which iTunes version it was, but there was a peak of iTunes that was solely focused on music. And then when they came up with a revision, I would think it was iTunes 9 or iTunes 10, 
where they started incorporating the app store and various other things. Then it became a bloated mess. And that's why they broke it off eventually with the Apple music. But again, the iTunes software interface was so revolutionary and how easy it was to plug and play the iPod. That's what you were paying for. You were paying for the software technology, not necessarily the hardware. That's a, that's a great point there. Yes. And I, I, Absolutely agree with that. And as this, as the iPod continued to grow, you know, like the first one was, you know, simple, basic, pixelated screen, black and white, if you will. Eventually, they introduced color. They introduced the concept mm-hmm. that you can have cover art when you're listening to it. And then, so iPod is really like it's cresting to a popularity in about 2007, 2008. The iPhone gets in- introduced six years after. It goes to market six years after the iPod did in, in 2007. There. And I'm sure there were some people at the time that saw that this would be eventually the end. But that's really what did it in. Yes. Before we get to the streaming era stuff, which I do want to get on, it's the iPhone. Like, first of all, the, the iPod basically paves the road for the iPhone to get made, period. Not that we wouldn't have gotten there without it, but quite clearly the line to that is so blatantly obvious mm-hmm. for Apple. Um, and then once the iPhone gets introduced... Like I can, I can personally recall Joe, two thousand ten, eleven. I get my, I get an iPhone, because I was, an, I was an Android guy. Yeah. I want to say twenty ten is when I got my first iPhone, and okay. I remember when I got the iPhone. I don't think it would have come with it. In fact, it almost certainly would have. But for whatever reason, Pandora. It wasn't Spotify. It was Pandora. Mm-hmm. Pandora launched and became a free streaming service in 05. Last.fm was around then. Spotify mm-hmm. didn't even get launched in the United States until 2011, okay? Yeah. yeah. point I'm making here is when I had my iPhone and I had Pandora, I, it was just easier to go to the gym. I, it was as simple as something like this, right? This is how this kind of creeps in. It was easier for me to go to the gym with one device, and if I wanted to have my phone on me, I could have Pandora, and I could stream, and... Then you started to realize, oh, okay, I didn't need my iPod just quite as much anymore. If I don't want to necessarily listen to the stuff that I know yeah. I can only get on my iPod, but I want to listen to, like, I I have tangible memories, show of discovering bands like uh, Real Estate and MGMT. Oh, uh, wow. Well, now, MGMT would have been maybe a little bit like, or Group Love, through the iPhone and Pandora, right? That's yeah. really what led to, in addition to that kind of combining with iTunes 10 and bloating the interface of just like the syncing process for your iPod on top of 99 cents per song, which was a way to push back on piracy, but it all quickly became, I want to say in the course of maybe like a year and a half, Joe, mm-hmm. it, it for the iPod lover, it it started to become grueling work like you to to remain committed to this device which obviously prompted so much devotion right millions upon yeah. millions upon millions upon millions of people getting this it became something that every time you wanted to sync your device get new music you knew instead of whatever process it used to be in the early to mid 2000s it soon became way more complicated than that and that that also and the cynics and the conspiracy theorists would say, yeah, because Apple wanted to make sure that you were going to the phone to begin with, and that was the slow death of the iPod that really, in my opinion, began in about early 2010, 2011. Yeah, they they shifted their business strategy to selling you apps, and you know it went from the, the colorful commercials that had the white iconic earbuds uh, with Jets, Are You Gonna Be My Girl, yes. milling, you know, moving countless units, 
to here's this bloated piece of software and we're going to send you a U2 album that you didn't even ask for. So it became more about the, it became more of the monstrosity of Apple and where they were headed and what you see today versus what Apple used to be, which was really awesome devices for people who had the money to get it. Um, and it, 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 Apple started to go from a device company, by the way, to your point about uh, the, uh, the, the, the iPhone, as revolutionary as it was. I mean, it probably for my generation is the most revolutionary thing that will ever happen in my lifetime uh, in the same way that, you know, color television changed the game. Um, you know, Alexander Bell on the telephone. I mean, the iPhone is a re- – uh, well, Yeah, you, I basically put it like you're this. holding in your hand yeah. – you, what, what you're holding in your hand has disrupted so many industries, including ours, yes, yes. that um, including the sports business and the media business that you can't you can, there's no way you can overstate the impact of the iPhone. But to drill it down to your point about Apple, the the, the iPhone was the turning point for that company getting away from hardware that was married to its software and the happy little walled garden to a service company and everything's a service company now and apple is a service company in the way that they have you tied to their apps they're a service company in the way that they have you paying subscriptions for apple music they have you as a service with apple tv apple news etc cetera, etc cetera. and all of that is tied back to the iphone and to your point about the ipod it kind of became as complicated as you want to make it right if you wanted to have these um these luxurious playlists with all your favorite Dave Matthews band live shows or Grateful Dead live shows and trade, you could still do that if you wanted in the same way that I want to seek a first edition of Badfinger, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of stuff on vinyl uh, or like what I'm currently, you know, distracting myself with and nerding out on the various eras of cassettes that you could purchase um, and how, Music, you know, people talk about how earpod, you know, AirPods, Beats Pros, AirPods Max, spatial audio affects the way that you hear music. Well, how you hear music through a tape also affects how you perceive the music. Or people talk about how vinyl is the best way to listen to music. Is it? Sometimes vinyl isn't the nostalgia play. Sometimes hearing a little hiss on a tape brings you back to when you were a kid listening to a Walkman. Yes. In the same way that, um, Super loud MP3s might make you think about uh, what's another. Uh, what was the name of the? What was the name of the band that had Rill Rill? Oh man, it was like a it was like a noise band. Sleigh bells, sleigh bells, sleigh bells. Yes, sleigh bells. Here's where you know people talk about. Man, the right I can't believe I pulled that. <laughs> you pull, that was impressive, man. But to my point, sleigh bells is a prime example of a band that realized how people were listening to music. So they said, screw it. Let's just blow this audio out. Yes. On your AirPods or on your earbuds, I should say, because the sound sucks anyway. It's so trash. So let's yes. lean into yeah. it and make art out of it. And it was, I, I always thought that was a brilliant album in the way it was made. Mm, how about that? And by the way, if, if the iPod, if the iPod was like the invention of the speedboat, to, to your point, the iPhone was like the friggin' invention of the space shuttle. <laughs> like, it's, yes. it, I mean, yes. it is. Yes. It has. It is really, you know, uh, for good, bad, and otherwise. Yes, as as uh, as something that has been introduced to society, I and mean, the world will never be the same again. Obviously. Okay. Before we get to streaming, which I do want to talk about, 
I want to hear. I've got a list, but I want yours first. List of vintage iPod artists. And the way that I would describe this is these are artists whose prime corresponded with the iPod era, meaning yeah. they 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 weren't really around before for the most part of any impact before say 02 yeah. and they have for the most part probably haven't had relevancy post 2012 2013 ish so as an example um who did you just mention you mentioned some oh like arcade fire would not qualify arcade fire yeah. is still relevant enough they're not an ipod they're not an ipod artist um another well, see, one it's funny. i i broke it down into i, I broke it down into two groups ipod okay. artists that you still listen to because yes. like every era i think this is important i think it was david holmes who wrote in esquire a couple of years ago the former mtv vj um he called it the deleted era what you're describing he described as the deleted era yeah in that you had, like, he described Chingy, the rap artist, like a one-hit wonder as, like, I would also associate uh, some of that, um, some of that, that, uh, that snap your fingers rap from back in the day, too, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, everybody in the club, Jaquan, everybody in the club getting tipsy, like that kind of stuff, like party anthems that you would just put on an iPod. So he called that the deleted era, but it's important to note that every era has one-hit wonders. For you sure. know, to go back and say that the 80s was nothing but just one-hit wonder MTV, well, that's doing a disservice to a lot of the great music that came out in the 80s that some of your favorite artists today are clearly mining. Like, I look at the War on Drugs. They put out an album last year, which was pure, uncut rock AOR radio, man. Yeah. I love the album, but that's exactly what it is. I mean, he's he's trying to make Midwest heartland rock with synths and everything. You know who did that? A lot of bands in the 80s. So anyway... So every era has its one-offs and artists that last. So I do think that the iPod era has both those categories. So when you talk about Arcade Fire, right, I would throw Interpol in that mix. I would throw Strokes in that mix. Uh, We talk LCD sound system. I love the Walkman. The Mm -hmm. Walkman is a band that is, to me, peak iPod era. However, I find them to have a lasting, you know, a, a lasting impact, right? So what you're asking for is more like Kasabian. To a certain okay. extent. I mean, there's some. There's a little of both. There's a little of both, yes. Kasabian would be a, a Franz Ferdinand, another one. And not, not all these, not everyone we're going to mention is, is, a, is an act that came out of England between like 01 and 05. But, the, but a, lot of, a, them, lot, but of a them, lot of them are, man. Yes. A lot of them are. We That's are scientists. You said editors before. Yes. Uh, the future heads. Oh man, their cover of "Hounds of Love" is great. Future has underrated bands, man. I would not have known that. We got um, uh, Block Party. Yes, uh, is another one yes. of these British bands. Undeniably, um, yes. You also have the Libertines. Yes, which put out to me a classic freaking album and up the bracket. But I just kind of closely associate that with the iPod era. There's a band, an American, I think it's an American band off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember this. It was called the stills. It was called logical break your heart. Mm. Okay. That is a wonderful, glossy guitar pop record, but it's lost. It's just lost in this era. You're looking at me like the stills. I don't remember. Don't the remember. Stills. I don't. Do you remember secret machines? No. First wave in tech. Go back and listen to the Secret Machines, First Wave and Tack, and tell me those drums don't hit hard. 
But I just mentioned this and nobody's having a clue about secret machines, but you only would have remembered it because of the iPod era. But yeah, I'm thinking of secret machines. I'm thinking of the stills. I'm thinking of the Claxtons. Um, you know, one of my favorite dance pop artists that came out of that, um, that, uh, that DFA era was a band called the Rapture. Like, I don't think people quite understood how awesome House of Jealous Lovers was when it first came out. And you had to find the right version, too. Like, there was a white label vinyl that was out there that you could only find if you were in the cool clubs, you know, in New York. But if you found the MP3 that had, like, the extended intro version, oh, man, it was, like, gold. Uh, and then they ended up putting out their album called Echoes, which in no way, shape, or form could match the awesomeness of House of Jealous Lovers. But I know if somebody were to fire up their iPod today, that Rapture track is clearly on there. I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. You're going to be judge and jury here. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of bands. You're going to tell me, we'll, we'll talk about it. if we listen to them still and if they're vintage iPod bands, okay? Because <laughs> remember, if you're still relevant enough today, you don't qualify, all right? All right. Phoenix. I still listen to Phoenix. I don't. Would you now if 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 uh, nineteen oh one comes on, I'm keeping it on. But yeah, no, nah, I don't listen to Phoenix anymore. Uh, if I ever that's feel like a, that's like a one out, that's a one album wonder for me. Joe, go listen to if I ever feel better today. Okay, and go listen to that song and get back to me later. Uh, MGMT. Right. Uh, the last album I did had listened to them was uh, what was it? Uh, Congratulations, and which that was came the out. <laughs> the album's more than a decade old, my man. I think is they've that, had three since old? then, right? They've had three wow. since then. That's that's an iPod band, right? Mm-hmm. Got to be. How about this? How about this artist? Is Lil Wayne an iPod artist, or was he too big post? Too big. Okay, that's what I thought. Because Lil, Lil, Wayne, Lil Wayne was actually moving CDs. So. Yeah, hey, true. Yeah, well, yeah, I get it. you. You can still move product. Kaiser Chiefs is on the Mount Rushmore of iPod bands. Oh, absolutely. They are first ballot. I still listen occasionally. Unanimous. Hey, I predict a riot. Oh. Still goes, and then they had a follow up to that, uh, which I thought was actually pretty, yeah. pretty good too. Yeah, I just thought of another band, but keep going. Sean Paul. Sean Paul is an iPod Ooh. artist. Come on, yeah, he he's on a lot of party playlists. Yes, here's a tricky one because I think if they, I think they can still fill a state. If you can fill a stadium in 2022, you're probably not an iPod artist. But I feel like. Uh, even I don't even know if any of their songs were on any uh, you know television commercial the way that Jet was or Feist was, mm-hmm. but to me when I think about this band's absolute peak, I, I I associate them with listening to my iPod and that is Muse. No, not an iPod. Okay, not an iPod man at all. No, Muse. To me, Muse. You know what I associate Muse with? What? HBO soundtracks. Really? Because there are certain because you got to remember. Yeah, I brought the Walkman. You know what introduced people to the Walkman? <sighs> Refresh it. The OC. Well, the I, at the bottom of this list, I have basically a lot of this shit is stuff that could be on, found on soundtracks to the OC. Yep. No That's doubt right. about it. No. So to me, the Walkman was the House of Jealous Lovers uh, was on, not a house of, um, oh man, not, uh, it wasn't the rat. It was, um, Anyway, I'll have to go back and look it up. It's like the, the name of the song is escaping me off the top of my head. Anyway, they did a performance on the OC, and that's what introduced the Walkman that came out of a hype band out of New York called Jonathan Fire Eater. Little House uh, of into, Savages? Into, yes, Little House of Savages. Thank you. So 
That I will associate as a show that introduced you, just like commercials really brought the black keys into the mainstream, but not anything like iPods. So to me, Muse, you know what I think of when I hear Muse? I think of Entourage. Really? Never yes, watched Entourage, they would, so I have no. They, have they no would close. They would close. They would close it. They would close an episode by playing a Muse track. You know, mm. like so. That that's what I associate that with. Not necessarily iPod. All right. Uh, hot hot heat. Hundred percent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> hot, bandages, hot. bandages. Now you got me thinking about bandages. That was a great. Uh, I haven't listened to Hot Hot Heat in forever. Uh, this band, next one I'm gonna mention, has a sustained fan base, still popular, but I don't. I, I it has to be associated. What about Death Cab for Cutie? Oh man, I saw. You want to talk about peak iPod era? I saw Death Cab for Cutie and Franz Ferdinand at Cameron Indoor Stadium. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, yeah, Death Cab. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it is. I'm going to agree with you because their peak really was like, this is, I'm showing you my sensitive side yes. along with like the shins. Yes. Is the shin, is the shins an iPod? I think so. Or do they, okay. do they barely predate? I think they're, no, I think they're iPod. I think okay. they're iPod. Um, and also you can put the postal service in the iPod era too. If you were talking death cab and you want to get into. Yes. Postal service is absolutely an iPod band. Yes. Uh, I, have, I have future heads here, which we talked about Interpol, yeah. which we talked about. Um, okay. How about this? Uh, this is a, this was a humongous act, mainstream act, mm-hmm. but they were only big in the iPod era. Okay. Black eyed peas. Who I never liked. But I think they're the biggest act I have listed here. Ooh, see, they have not been relevant since the iPod basically died out. I have a I have a strange relationship with the Black Eyed Peas because they started coming on when I was at NC State. That's true. They did they did predate it, but Black Eyed Peas they, as we know them. Sure, sure, sure. If you sure, went sure, to sure. a party Just, and someone said, "Put on my iPod party mix," they were on it. So here's the complicated relationship with Black Eyed Peas, and they were part of one of these more conscious backpack rap collectives in the late nineties. When you tell me black eyed peas, I think Jurassic five, mm-hmm. like that type of late nineties conscious rap. I don't want to listen to the popular stuff. I want to listen to this stuff. Um, but yeah, they, they brought Fergie on and pivoted. And when they came out with pump it, that's when it became associated with, I, I actually, I give black eyed peas credit for seeing the wave yeah, jumping on it and riding off into the sunset with all that money. All right, let's let's uh, let's cruise through a few more here. Um, Iron and Wine, yes, <laughs> band I've never listened to, or a guy I've never listened yeah. to. Yeah, uh, Neo. But I, oh jeez, yeah, Neo. that's up there with that's up there with Chingy and, and that kind of stuff. You mentioned Jet. Um, what about Modest Mouse? Before Modest- they were around before. They're, yeah, that's another classic. That's a to me, that's a college radio band that crossed over with a hit. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's iPod era. I okay. think that's simply our new pornographers radio that that broke through. New pornographers iPod era. Yeah, I, no, clearly iPod era. Yes, well, ha- have to be. Um, Jet, you mentioned. What mm-hmm. about Pussycat Dolls? <laughs> I, these are these are bands that were like. I th- I see Pussycat Dolls. I would associate there's a there's a different there's a different grouping here. Okay, and I think Black Eyed Peas might actually be part of this grouping too. Now that you bring up Pussycat Dolls, I believe that is late stage MTV. Mm. Late Good stage distinction. MTV. 
because I think there was, you know, you had your total request live era and then the long tail of what was relevant to MTV because the visuals are what sold Black Eyed Peas, Pussycat Dolls. Let's not forget like, you know, the Moulin Rouge hit, like that kind of stuff. These are big collaborative. Maybe like Kesha uh, too, same kind of. Yeah, Kesha. Kesha might be in that group too. Okay, few more. Okay, go. 100%. Okay, go. Come on. No? So was Okay, go. Okay, so was Okay, go an iPod band or was Okay, go the first band to understand how to go viral? Mm. Can, they, I think be, a can they be both? They could be both because OK Go came into people's consciousness because they had these inc- like wild YouTube videos. Yes. That's how people got to know OK Go. Um, not necessarily through MP3 blogs. It was like, hey, look at these guys on treadmills. Isn't this an amazing video? It's kind of like Jamiroquai in the 90s, right? Yeah. Like Jamiroquai was a one-off. Actually, they had a two. They were a two-hit wonder because Canned Heat, thanks to um, uh, was the uh, with Pedro. I can't remember the movie now. Um, but we're, regardless. So I, I think that might be a that might be a, a shift to YouTube conversation. Keep okay. going. Phantom Planet. Oh, absolutely iPod. Uh, uh, apps, uh Silver Sun pickups. <sighs> oh yeah, that's iPod era. Vines yeah, the vines and the hives along with the abso- strokes. Yeah, absolutely iPod. That's uh, what I associate. Um Snow Patrol and Aqualung. <laughs> Snow Patrol. <laughs> Yes. Where's Travis in this? Oh list? no, no, no. Predates, predates, predates. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess Travis. I guess Travis does predate in the same way that Coldplay. Predates now that this stuff. artist was too. This was the biggest artist of any on the list. He's not. He's a. He's a hip hop artist. He's not an iPod era artist. But I would. I. I don't know if any hip hop artist other than like a Jay Z made more money through iTunes than Fifty Cent. His relevance corresponds entirely with. <laughs> arriving with the iPod, and then kind of fading out once the iPod was gone. He's not an iPod artist, but if you really look, again, that's that's the same thing as like Black Eyed Peas. You're going, if you're going to a, you're going to a yeah. party, the mix is on. 50 Cent, minimum four tracks are on that mix. Minimum. Yeah, and also, you know, it's, yeah, it's, that's a weird, okay, so 50, 50 is a weird, in that case, you would also put Lil John. anything that Lil John. Yes, uh, yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, where there was this, uh, this, there was this, a one-off of Southern rap that would go that he was associated with, whether it was uh, the Yin Yang twins. He actually helped bring on Pitbull before Pitbull, Pitbull became this, you know, Pitbull, Pitbull was like a legitimate underground guy out of Miami for a while that Lil John put on with a track called Kulo, which is Spanish for, but yes. Um, and that would, that was a hot regional hit, man. That was a hot regional hit in South Florida that eventually crossed over uh, thanks to Little John. So 50, you know, 50 might also be associated with the changing nature of how, you know, different eras of rap, you know, you went through your Southern rap phase, like Ludacris, right? Like, what do you, what do you make with Ludacris? Predates it. Yeah. I guess, I guess Luda predates it. You know, Missy is another person predates it. who predates it, but really yeah. was part of those iPod playlists. She took advantage of that with songs like Work It uh, and One Minute Man and that kind of stuff from back in the day. Uh, five more artists. I'm going to wrap with this, and then we'll get to streaming as we close the conversation. Ben yeah. Queller, Dandy Warhols, TV on the Radio, <laughs> Explosions in the Sky, and M83 <laughs> are all iPod artists. 
and and maybe none ben of them Queller. as heavy as I have as not Dandy thought Warhol's. about Ben Queller, dude. I, I that's why I wanted to have this conversation because I just brought Ben Queller <sighs> back into your orbit, you just, my man. You just bought Ben Queller back into my orbit. I have not thought about that guy in 15 years, 20 years. I mean, I don't know at this point. It's been a really, wow, that is just, that took me back, man. So, all right. You you got me curious because I keep I keep all of my uh, I keep all my old playlists. Um, I had this um, I had this playlist from back in the day. I called it uh, Isle of Hipsters in honor of Isle of White. Yes. So you know I've got I'm going through this and I see things like Kings of Leon, iPod artist. No, close but no. Lily Allen. Yes. Leaky Lee. Yes. Let's see, as we keep going down here, we haven't talked about Ra Ra Riot, have we? We haven't, but they would clearly qualify. Santo Gold, mm-hmm. Scissor Sisters, don't know them at all. Oh, the song uh, "Take Your Mama" is a wonderful. That's a banger. It's an absolute great song. Uh, editors, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 but they actually uh, broke through. The all oh, the cribs. Totally forgot about the cribs. So uh, that was another one of these punk bands that came out of uh, oh Glass Vegas. That's another one. Uh, Friendly Fires. Remember Friendly Fires? Nope. They had one hit called Skeleton Boy back in the back in the day. You had late stage iPod era with Empire of the Sun walking on a dream. Yes, for sure. That's definitely all right. Here is I think this is a good one to close on. Okay. Because we haven't. I'm pretty sure we haven't brought her up. Mia. Ooh. It feels I can like make it. an argument that she absolutely is an iPod artist because the way MIA came on was because she was the hot thing on Pitchfork. She had this uh, she had this mixtape called Piracy Funds Terrorism. I think that was the name of the mixtape. Yeah, yeah, and I remember it, this. Yes, and it had uh, it had Galang on it, which eventually showed up in a Honda commercial because everything eventually sells out. But Piracy Funds Terrorism, the only way you could get it was by going to one of your MP3 blogs. Download that bad boy and put it on your uh, your iPod device of choice, your MP3 player of choice. Uh, so I would absolutely make the argument that MIA is an iPod artist. Hot Chip was an iPod artist from back in the day. Uh, so, I, yeah, man, I'm going through all these. Oh, what about your boy, uh, Sufjan Stevens? Sufjan. Sufjan, sorry. I never liked the guy, so I never really got around to uh, – Understanding how to, I, oh, I Gil- had him on the Gil- list. Mots? Oh my goodness! I don't know if he's uh, Sufjan. Maybe I don't know. He's oh, he's almost he has sustained his uh, fan base like after the iPod. So I don't think that he necessarily. Okay, qualifies. so he doesn't yeah. uh, the tender trap. Oh man, sweet disposition. Man, this is taking me back. I know that's the whole point. It, this it, is definitely, and I'm, I'm just. It's just funny to me that I kept uh, some of these playlists from back in the day. Okay. Arctic Monkeys, too big, and they're still relevant. Yeah. It's still relevant. I agree with you on that one. Although it's important to note that Arctic Monkeys became a thing thanks to iPod. Without a doubt. And that's the case with plenty of these bands. All right, let's wrap on streaming here. Um, iPod dies. Streaming services really, uh, they start to gain traction early 2010s. Apple Music gets uh, onto the market. It's the last one in 2015. Title came in 2014. What have we gained with streaming services that we didn't have with iPod. Like, why is for the for the people that listen to a podcast episode just like this, Joe, and they mm-hmm. make music listening part of, if not their everyday experience, their every week experience. They, 
you know, with intention, they like to get in their own head, put the earbuds, the cans on, listen to music, and now they're doing it with their phone on a streaming service, whereas 12 years ago they were doing it on their iPod. What has been gained? Why is this a better experience for the music listener, the music lover in 2022 versus what they were doing in 20, you know, 2008, 2010, 2012? I cannot make the argument that it's a better experience for the listener today. I can't. Um, I actually think that music listening, the music listening experience has gotten worse with the advancements in technology uh, because it's streaming. There are digital rights issues that have led to you still finding a song on the streaming service, but guess what? It's been re-recorded. Mm-hmm. It's not the same song that you remember and that's going to bother you. Uh, here's a prime example. There was a novelty hit called, um, pump up the volume by a DJ collective called Mars. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. Okay. I might know it if you, if I heard it, but not. It so, you know, it's like, it's, it's just, it's just a, it's a dance track with okay. all sorts of samples in the same way that the avalanches had an album that was a breakthrough album in the early two thousands. Right. What was nothing but samples. But what's funny about that is, you know, good luck finding re-releases or if you find a re-release, it's a little bit off because they couldn't clear the samples for those releases. And if you listen to them online, you're not going to get the same experience. So those issues present to me a worse listening experience. Oh, it's the sound. My, my wife and I were actually talking about this today. She was in a weird nostalgia trip and she wanted to listen to the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack from the 90s. We're talking about a great uh, Radiohead track on there. We're mm-hmm. talking about number one crush from Garbage. And she's like, yeah, half these songs aren't even available on there because of streaming rights. So I do think it's a... Oh, this artist died. This happened with Prince. Prince dies. Yeah. People want to consume Prince. I go to my streaming service that I'm paying 10 bucks a month for. I can't find Prince. I have to buy Prince, which is nothing wrong with nothing that. Nothing wrong with that. Yes. But it, it's limited. De La so Soul think, has one no, of the greatest... Ri- I mean, you, Three Feet High and Rising, which unavailable. Creates, which creates an odd... We talk about the deleted era. With streaming, there's an entire generation of kids that are never going to discover this stuff because it's simply not available to them, and they're not going to go through the work to go find it unless, you know, you really tell them you should go listen to this. I mean, that happened with my brother one time. He was listening to uh, this rapper named Logic, and I remember telling him, I'm like, yeah, dude, you should just go listen to A Tribe Called Quest. It's just, just go yeah, do that. But yeah. sometimes you can't find that stuff, or De La Soul. Like, go, go listen to Stakes is High. You can't. That's a problem. So from the music perspective, I think it's worse. Podcasts, though, podcasts are the one thing that have actually benefited from the streaming era. Because in the nascent days of podcasting, you'd have to find the RSS feed, load the RSS feed, download the podcast, sync your iPod to get the to get the podcast on there, and then you know curate, delete, make space, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas now, if I want to listen to a podcast in my car, all I got to do is pull up my app, look for whatever, and hit play, and you're good. So podcasts have clearly, and you know, in my business and the radio side of business, I've really had to shift the thinking of, well, I like to catch people in, in the car and listen to us live, but I know that they might not be because they're listening to something else because it's on demand. So I have to meet them on demand. And those interfaces have made it incredibly easy. I mean, we use a platform called Megaphone. All I got to do is upload the mm-hmm. file, tag it, hit publish, and it goes everywhere. Can you imagine how that was 20 years ago trying to do a podcast? It was a pain in the ass. So I think that's the one thing that's benefited from the streaming era. My final thought on this is, you know, when you had 
your own music on your computer, you burn CDs, you might have pirated music, and you, <laughs> and that is also ethically complicated. There's no doubt about it, but we know what happened uh, everywhere. It doesn't make it right. It was just a, it was just how music consumption was happening for years and years and years. Uh, but there was very much a sense of this is mine. Mm-hmm. You were able, to, you know. Um, the Rolling Stone piece uh, that was written by Rob Sheffield, he loved the idea. You weren't being data mined. You could go yeah. hiking for five hours. You're listening to your own music. It's your own world. However, you you had more control over your device and how you were listening. Now it's very much more, you can, in many ways, it's a good thing. You have more music available, but some of that stuff isn't available that mm-hmm. is not on streaming services and playlists are being updated to you through an algorithm on the hour, on the minute. And it just seems as though... Uh, the way that the uh, system is now built for the music consumer is more splintered than ever, and there's really no, unless you are the small percentage of people that care so deeply about how you consume music, and that's a significant, it's a a significant uh, portion of the populace, but still it's not the mainstream listener. Um, A lot of the things that make us love music and and really the, the community around it and our own experience with it joe a lot of that stuff just seems to have just kind of faded away and dissolved as more services have become available at the touch of our fingertips yeah i think too that artists are making music specifically to sound a particular way so the algorithm feeds it that shows up on the next track you know you listen to a new music daily or something like that things are going to sound a little bit similar because it understands the listener wants more of that particular thing which i do think shortens our ability or lessens our ability to appreciate different sounds. Um, my final thought on this is to your point about, you know, and what Rob Sheffield said about, you know, it's, it's not tied to anything. Let's not pretend like DRM didn't exist with the iPod when you bought stuff, right? It was of limiting, course. you know, you could only share your playlist so many times with people too back in the day, but you could still do it at the point. I think that if you, if you really love music, I highly suggest that you go get a cassette deck, get on eBay, and go find yourself a lot of tapes, a random lot of tapes. And you will be amused and fall back in love with the concept of mixtapes. For instance, and I know we got to go. You're good. So I'll tell you a quick story. I bought a lot of 12 tapes on eBay for like 10 bucks. Maxell 90-minute high-bias tapes used. That's how you get them super cheap. In the lot of tapes, you're going to find jazz that somebody put on one side of the tape. Or my personal favorite in this last batch, two tapes from a party. There was a Sig Ep 1986 <laughs> party tape that Amazing. ran the gamut of stuff, right? I heard a song on there that I did not know existed. Did you know that Mick Jagger and the Jacksons put a song out in the 80s? (laughs) I had no idea. So I was like, wait a minute, does this exist? So I pulled it up on Apple Music. It's called State of Shock by Mick Jagger and the Jacksons. All right? No freaking clue. It was on this mixtape. And then you're thinking, but then you start to think about the story. Well, well, who put this tape together? Right. He clearly was trying to have sex because <laughs> the songs were trying to put you in a mood, man. And then there was another Which tape. Which is like I 85% found. of these tapes to begin with, but yes, fair enough. Yes, but then you're sitting, like, for instance, the next tape that I saw was, it was called uh, New Moon Serenade at Barb's. Who was Barb? Yeah. Why was the first song on this tape 
Is It Love by Bob Marley. Like, was that the message that this person was putting the tape together trying to send to Barb? Wow. Like, it was fun. And, it, and, and I know it kind of sounds stupid. Like, why would I buy an obsolete piece of technology and unreliable tapes for that reason? Because it reminds you why you like music in the first place. There's this personal attachment and stories behind it in the same way that you're holding a, a glass of bourbon going, well, you know, the story of this bourbon is such happy. So this is this is why I've been enjoying going back into those mixtape rabbit holes. I, I agree. And what, what are two of the biggest reasons why people flock to music? One is discovery. You want to find something. You want to be in on something. You want to you want to have... Uh, your world changed by a sound you didn't know existed by people you don't know that put it into the universe and suddenly they made a connection with discovery is one of them and the other is nostalgia you want to go mm -hmm. back to the stuff that you discovered once upon a time you want to go over and over again you might want to go you might want to leave it for five years come back around and be like man i forgot how good this was and it takes you back to a place a lot of our music consumption is about nostalgia joe and i think that's really why the death of the iPod, if you will, even if it didn't happen in 2022, and, and I I really, it's been a slow creep, if you will, but it, like this thing faded out five, six, seven years ago. But I think people like to go back to a time where they were consuming music, and they like to, we like to transport ourselves back for whatever human instinct, tendency, nature that is. I think all of these things are uh, are, are connected. So, anyway, I, hey, thanks for coming on, bud. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man, that was that was a fun conversation. I'm it was. Go uh, more, I'm gonna go make some more mixtapes. You go make some more mixtapes. You can find, <laughs> you can find Joe if this if you dig this. He's at Joe Ovius on Twitter, J O E, O V I E S. Joe Ovius, and uh, he's the host of ninety nine point nine FM. If you live in the North Carolina area, you know you no doubt know Mr. Yes. Ovius. Yeah. Next next mixtape is gonna be ninety minutes of grocery store bangers. I'm Love really it. Much looking. Yeah. Appreciate well, you, John Cicada. Just another day. Let's go. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us.